Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Happy New Year and welcome to the Food and Psych podcast. I hope you all managed to have a very good break. If you're listening to this in January, then you will no doubt have seen a sudden rise in advertising for diet products, slimming clubs and workout routines as companies try to cash in on popular New Year's resolution weight loss goals. But as I've written about before, diets don't work and tend to end up doing more harm than good both physically and psychologically, which makes today's guest the perfect antidote to the diet-focused New Year, New You mania. Laura Thomas is a registered nutritionist with a PhD in nutritional sciences who specialises in intuitive eating, health at every size and non-diet nutrition. Through a non-diet approach, she strives to help her clients and followers to develop a healthy and relaxed relationship with food that relies on acknowledging and trusting their own internal body cues rather than external rules and regulations. She was the nutritionist for the 2017 BBC One documentary Mind Over Marathon, which followed a group of people with a range of mental health concerns training to run the London Marathon. When she's not working one-to-one with her clients, she can be found calling out nutritional nonsense on her social channels. In this wide-ranging conversation, Laura explains why she declared war on diet culture and her takedown of Women's Health magazine. Actually, since recording this episode, she also launched a successful Instagram campaign to get Gymbox to take down a post that was promoting exercise as a form of punishment. In this episode, she also describes the paradigm of intuitive eating and its misappropriation and the link between veganism and orthorexia. Laura hosts the popular podcast Don't Sort My Game, where she interviews game changers in health and nutrition. I appeared on the podcast last year and we were catching up just before we started recording, which is why this conversation sounds a little bit livelier than usual. We do bounce around a little bit, but do bear with us as I think we do hit on some important points and observations from our shared clinical experience. So here's to eating in a way that nourishes both our bodies and our souls. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Laura Thomas. Hi. Okay, so everybody, I am here with well, probably someone who doesn't really need that much of an introduction. Oh, really? I, I, I think so. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> you are kind so. of queen of social media at the moment. Well, certainly queen of food social, but I think so. <laughs> oh, you are you're all over my feet. I'm, I'm humbled by that description, but <laughs> I don't know how accurate it is. We'll get to it. Don't worry. It's fine. Um, okay, so in case she does need an introduction, I am here with... Laura Thomas PhD, which is how I always refer to you. <laughs> no, that's so weird. Why did I choose that handle? Why? Why? <laughs> you always know. 
PhD. Yeah. Yep. Everyone knows. And Laura, for the benefit of the, I think four people listening to this podcast who won't know who you are, um, please introduce yourself. Okay. So, as we have established, I have a PhD, and that PhD is in nutritional sciences. So I'm a registered nutritionist, and I work. Um, within the intuitive eating health at every size paradigm so my business where we're sitting right now is the London Centre for Intuitive Eating and basically I help people who have had a weird relationship with food learn to eat intuitively again sort of Mm -hmm. the theory is that we're all born as intuitive eaters kind of knowing when to eat how much to eat what to eat you know if you have a little kid and and they're you're weaning them for example and you've got all their foods laid out in front of them on their excuse me on their high chair then the chances are that they will take a little bit of everything that they want and then they'll kind of stop when they're done or if they're you know being spoon fed they'll turn their head away or or breast or bottle fed they'll they'll turn Mm -hmm. their head away so the idea is that we're all born with that but that can get eroded over time that like our awareness of our hunger and satiety cues can can become eroded over time and through various other insults so like many other insults. <laughs> right. we will oh, 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 we have a lot to talk about <laughs> um, in terms of all of the ways in which people get turned away from mm. all of those things but mm-hmm. I think before we launch into that and we will I think people need to kind of strap in because it's going yeah. to be a lot of that kind of <laughs> discussion but before we get into that it'd be really great for you to explain about your your meaningful food so these breaking bread episodes always start with a discussion and or mostly me being fed um <laughs> uh, a food that is meaningful to my guest and Laura you chose so I made barbecue seitan which is kind of hilarious for lots of different reasons one because I literally just gave you a bite of barbecue seitan with no trimmings and that is just because I am the least prepared person I feel like Um, I went to a buffet and it was the last (laughs) thing left I did try and make cornbread at like nine o'clock last night and then I realized I didn't have any any uh cornmeal left so you have to use your imagination a little bit, but um, so yeah, it's also just funny because seitan, for people who don't know, is like a meat alternative. Um, because I'm vegan, and um, I became vegan just sort of about a year before I moved to Texas, and Texas being the sort of capital of barbecue, although some of the other southern states might dispute who is the king of (laughs) barbecue i'm not getting into that i'm not getting into that but um yeah so i think it's 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 just kind of funny as a vegan that i kind of love barbecue flavors um but yeah so why it's meaningful or or it's it's symbolic i suppose of just sort of my time in texas in general because i was there for five years and it's also sort of represents, um, and yeah, this is a huge stretch of the imagination, but there's there's one restaurant that I really, really loved in Austin, Texas, which is about two hours from where I was living and studying. And it was this barbecue baked tofu dish served with margarine potatoes, margarine mashed potatoes, and black-eyed peas. And... 
I was just sort of saying before we started recording how I grilled the waitress once as to how this recipe was made. And it's like the most elaborate process. It's basically pressed tofu, which is then frozen, and then it's marinated in, in a sort of peanut sati sauce, and then remarinated in a barbecue sauce. And it's just, it's out of this world good. It's like if I were on death row and I had to pick one meal, I would eat this food. And whenever my friends came to visit me in Texas, I would like drag them to this one restaurant. Which is a long, a two hour drag. Well, yeah, but in the States, that's nothing. That's like, yeah. Plus, and why this is also funny is I had this like really love-hate relationship with Texas when I lived there. Um, You know, just like briefly touching on the hate side, like um, the the politics, the the gun culture, just the general very conservativeness. Conservativeness, is that word? It is now. Yeah, I just made that happen. Um, and so, like, yeah, politically, it was it was really challenging having moved from Scotland, which is like a socialist utopia, to to Texas. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. But then, you know, all the all the sort of the warm memories that I have of Texas, like literally the weather and and sort of being poolside and like warm nights where you're just drinking cocktails or vodka iced tea or whatever it was, you know, and they're like literal fireflies flying around and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, have have some really great memories of, of being a student there. I think I've gone off on a bit of, of a tangent, but sort of coming back. Yeah, you know, where I lived, College Station, where I was going to university, is this really, really conservative town, conservative university, like 97% white Texans. Like, Texans do not leave Texas. They all stay there. So it was this really weird microcosm. But then two hours down the road was Austin, Texas, which is, it's the state capital, but it's also just this like liberal bubble in the state of Texas. And it's the, so it's like considered to be the live music capital of the world, pretty much. Um, It's where Whole Foods started out. So I I remember my friend and I, um, I, it was like one of the first ever trips I'd been to, to Texas. And we'd found this like weird vegan restaurant. It was like a mac- like a li- like an actual mat- macrobiotic restaurant. And we came out of it and we're like, "What the fuck was that?" Like we were expecting something much better. <laughs> and honestly, it was like a scene from a movie. We like walked over the hill and there was this enormous Whole Foods right in front of us that turned out to be like the whole the Whole Foods flagship HQ, and like. Whole Foods in the UK is nothing like what it is in the States. Like, this place was next level, outer space level. Like, it, it, I, I know I'm talking, like, <laughs> about Whole Foods, but it's... It's evangelical. It, it, <laughs> do, like, okay, so just let me explain. You go in, and it's, like, the fruit and vegetable section, which is, like, the size of most normal supermarkets in the UK. And then there was, like, at the time, there was, like, this vegan raw food counter and then the sushi counter and then the barbecue counter and the pizza and the gelato and the like there were all these different there are all these different stations there's like a bar in there like it it's just like a food mecca and because we'd had this really crappy experience right before we were like 
we've just landed the mother load here. Like, <laughs> and seriously, we went in and we probably both dropped a hundred dollars. Oh, I mean, it's pretty easy to yeah. spend a lot, a money. lot of money in there. Have you have you been in a Whole Foods in the US? I've been. I, th- I think there's one in New York, and if there is, I've been to the one in New York. Okay. Uh, I don't think I dreamed that for sure. Um, and it was I can't remember how big it was. I think it was two or three stories, and it's it was kind of plonked down. It's was it the Union Square one? I think, possibly. Yeah. Because it was long, like a long, like ten levels. years ago now. So okay. I can't remember. But I remember because I, you know, been a bit of a food nerd and a closet hippie for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I used before Whole Foods um, came to the UK. I used to go. There was a little, the original kind of vegetarian health yeah. shop mm-hmm. on Brewer Street which is called Fresh and Wild and I still have one of their Hessian bags oh, and nice. they got bought out they turned first of all into a Whole Foods and then they closed down completely and Whole Foods moved around the corner to Piccadilly and I was thinking about that the other day I was like oh my god part of like Whole Foods that's, history yeah <laughs> yeah no it's that's funny and the one in Austin I once saw what's the guy that owns Whole Foods I don't know his name I forget what he, oh, I think he, I mean they sold it to Amazon think, now yeah. but I saw his like electric car outside charging. <laughs> I can't remember how I knew it was his car, but there was some reason Who that we were like figured it out. Yeah, plate, like, it's me, Whole Foods One. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was probably something like that. Um, so yeah, like to to me, Austin is like this really cool little bubble of like food and music, and the streets are just like littered with with food trucks and. And so, like, it was, like, way, way, way before sure. street food was a thing here. And and I was kind of telling you before as well, there's, like, everything is about tacos in Austin. So, like, you can get tacos for breakfast, lunch, dinner, all of the above, snacks in between. There is every Absolutely. kind of, like, taco or burrito. And there was actually another place that I really loved that did um, this thing called a frito burrito. Do you know what fritos are? Have you? Are they fries of some? So they're like they're like corn, like fried corn chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're really they're like really cheap and nasty, but they are so delicious. (laughs) Especially when there's like adds like this amazing crunch in with like your sweet corn and your avocado and your like vegan taco meat stuff, and it was honestly the most delicious thing in the world. We could find them and tag them and see whether they're burritos like out there in the world yeah no they like it exists like it's a like there's this place called the vegan yacht um that makes these frito burritos and they're just out of this world good so yeah to me when i think of i like to think of my time in texas as like going to south by southwest the music festival eating loads of amazing food seeing loads of cool bands and and just like not think of how traumatizing doing a PhD is. Solve research. <laughs> yeah, and some research, right? Getting some qualifications. So, why did you go? I mean, what was it about the course, or what was it about the university that meant you went to Texas? To, to Texas, yeah, it's a good question. I often ask myself the same thing. Like, what was I thinking? But basically, I had been doing some undergrad research in the gastrointestinal microbiome, and I knew that I wanted to study abroad, and because my parents had ties to Texas, I was looking at this one university and they also had um, a professor who was setting up a lab in gut health, basically. 
So I talked to him about my experiences and um, yeah, I went and, and I could also study nutrition and dietetics simultaneously as a PhD there. So that's it's kind of okay. did all of those things all together. Oh, so check, checked a lot of boxes. It was yeah. just, just a weird place to go. Oh. <laughs> and when you switched to veganism, like had it, was it a big switch? Had you been thinking about it for a while? Was it? Mm, yeah, so I had been... So I just turned vegetarian when I was like 10 years old, I think because I'm pretty sensitive to animals and just, I had pets and I got it in my head really early on that like pets and animals are friends, not food. And I mean, that's a, a big cliche and, 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 and I respect that everyone has their own choice to make. And so this is my personal decision. I'm not like a militant vegan who was like, everyone should be vegan. So yeah, I was a vegetarian for like, from the age of 10 to about 19 and then I guess I kind of had comp compartmentalized meat production from you know egg and milk production like they were kind of like separate in my head and and I'm not even sure how but I fell down like a rabbit hole of of doing some research and and I decided like actually it doesn't sit well with me to to eat those products and so I just like I as far as I can remember I pretty much went cold turkey but it wasn't an easy transition for me. I think, you know, looking back, because I didn't know how to cook. I was a freaking student. So I definitely wasn't eating well at that point. Like it was like pasta with tomato sauce and like some vegan Parmesan scarred on the top. Like I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know how to make the things that I know now. And then, you know, that combined with then moving to Texas, which outside of Austin, it's impossible to be vegan. <laughs> so I really quickly had to learn how to cook. And then that was much, much easier. And I kind of figured out, okay, here's how I can feed myself and not feel deprived or unsatisfied with the food that I'm eating. Or, or make yourself ill. Like, or make yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I just eat pasta. <laughs> yeah. What was the, do you remember what the first thing that you learned to make was? So I think one of the, so there's this one vegan author whose books I love and her name is Isa Chandra Moskowitz. I've probably totally butchered her name. But we can find her. We'll yeah. In the show notes totally. Yeah. So she has a very early book called Vegan with a Vengeance and it's, it's like very punk. <laughs> it's very punk. And there were some recipes in there that I just started flicking through. So actually the seitan recipe that I made is from Vegan with a Vengeance. Mm. So I started experimenting with all of these things. So like there's literally everything there. Like the best chocolate chip cookies I got from that. Yeah. So if you were at my <laughs> my birthday party for my podcast, that was those were the chocolate chip cookies oh, that I served okay. there. I did eat everything to be fair. Yeah, that was a good there was some good food. Um and and so everything from like baking through to I think I made these like um like some samosas and like learned how to make my own vegan pastry and um it just it went from there so I got that cookbook and then I got her next cookbook which is Veganomican um and again just it's it's got like everything that you would want to eat just like regular recipes but not veganized in the sense of okay let's take out the cheese and the milk and then you're left with like some sad cardboard tasting food <laughs> it's not that at all it's like how can we make these recipes taste just as good as the real deal 
um, so they again you don't feel like you're missing out on stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah I really like she's not afraid of like adding salt and fat and sugar right all the things that that make food delicious because that's the interesting thing about and I think that we probably do have to make a distinction between the I don't know if you could call it waves of veganism or like the uses of veganism yes yeah yeah because you know there are old school say like yoga buddhists that kind of spiritual vegans who have been you know the, the vegans of the 70s who have you know yeah. have always been vegan their souls the are vegan, vegan. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, um and then there are you know conscious vegans and mm-hmm. like animal welfare vegans and the anarchist vegans <laughs> but there's this, there's a new wave of veganism mm-hmm. across social media laura mm-hmm. and I, so i wonder what your take on it is and how you position yourself in it as well kind of being vegan but the, what I see a lot of in clinic is mm. oh I'm, I'm, I'm likely to go off in a bit of a rant here but yeah no go for it <laughs> is is really the kind of bastardization of veganism mm. really and it's a it's a, a, a misuse of it for not for everybody of course right and I'm mindful of that but how certainly in terms of eating disorders and eating problems or mm-hmm. disordered eating things like vegeta- vegetarianism veganism paleo gluten-free mm. become excuses or means yeah. of greater restriction yeah what is what's going on i don't know if that's not really a very well formed question know, I, but I, I think i understand what you're asking and and i even think in this sort of new wave veganism that we're in at the moment even within that, there are two segments, right? So you have the vegans who are, you know, purely there on moral grounds, who just, they want to eat delicious food that happens to be vegan. So I'm talking about like the vegan donuts and the vegan um, jackfruit burgers. And there there are loads of cool places, especially in London, that are doing like vegan, vegan junk food. Chicken. Yeah, like Temple of Satan and, and Burger and places places like that so and I think that is really grounded in a sort of social justice movement Mm -hmm. um, where vegan is becoming cool you know with like veganuary and things then there's this the flip side of that I think where veganism is being used to disguise disordered eating and that's the and I have to even be careful within that because I know Mm -hmm. that there are people who do go vegan or reduce their meat consumption or dairy consumption for health reasons. And and that's valid too. But then there are other people who don't actually need to be so restrictive with their diet for, for health reasons and are kind of using it to justify disordered eating. Is that kind of what you were... Yeah, like? it, it is. And it's really, it's really tricky, I think, because... And, well, it's tricky because talking about eating disorders is a tricky thing anyway. Mm-hmm. And also because actually our eating habits are, are really personal and they're sure they're, they can be very private and you know just asking someone so what are your eating habits like is a very intimate kind of question and yeah. so people get very very defensive mm-hmm. about it and they get very protective about the way that they eat but also and, and one of the things I at least try to think about through this podcast is about the way that food is a reflection of of identity and of status and yeah. of tribal affiliations mm-hmm. and 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 I certainly think that kind of veganism as the new wave as I'll call yeah. it 
is is something about that as well it's kind mm-hmm. of where are you kind of hanging your flag yeah. you know who are you saying is part of your tribe yeah. and what does this bowl of veggies or whatever you're you know having your vegan bowl say about you mm. and how it's kind of been co-opted into something else mm-hmm. but it, it's it's actually an enormous question that um i'm not sure it's massively easy to answer but i think it's thinking about where you're positioned in it kind of working mm. with intuitive yeah. eating being vegan yeah also and, and some of the things that you recommend to your clients and to your listeners about kind of being careful about social media and sure yeah and so I don't advertise myself as being vegan mm. like this is maybe only you know this is the second podcast I've done where I've talked about being vegan but it's I'm more framing it from the perspective of being critical of veganism especially if you have a troubled relationship with food you're working through disordered eating or an eating disorder. And so when people come to me and, and they say I'm vegan, I'll really drill down into their motivations behind that mm. and, and challenge them, not in a sort of like, not trying to be a dick, but just trying to get to the to the bottom of, okay, is this a genuine, is this genuinely motivated by environmental concerns or, or animal welfare concerns, or is this slightly more orthorexic? Um, because that's really, I think, what we're talking yeah. talking about here. Um, from from, and I can only speak, you know, from my perspective, in terms of of being vegan, working towards becoming an intuitive eater. I one thousand percent think that those two things can go together and and can work together and, and can sit quite comfortably together as long as the person doesn't feel any underlying restriction or, or sense of deprivation from their diet because you know with intuitive eating one of the the main sort of underpinning principles is that is 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 gentle nutrition which comes towards the end of the intuitive eating process but basically it's about thinking and considering how food makes you feel so for example you know, if you eat like a takeaway seven nights in a row, by the eighth night, you're not going to feel so hot, right? Likewise, if you don't ever have, you know, a slice of cake or a couple of biscuits or whatever, you're also going to feel kind of crappy. That's, you know, psychologically, that's going to be tough on you. But the way that sort of veganism or vegetarianism plays into intuitive eating is that if a food choice morally doesn't feel good to you, then that's, that's an extension of that principle as well. So if you don't feel right, or um, you know, there for if you have environmental reasons that you don't want to eat meat or cut back on meat or um, animal welfare right or reasons, then then those two things can sit well. But you know, you have to make sure that your relationship with food is a priority. And so if if you're recovering from an eating disorder or disordered eating, then I I don't recommend vegetarianism or veganism until you've resolved whatever issues that you were having with food and then maybe you know working with your registered nutritionist or registered dietitian towards doing that in a way that is is healthy um both physically but also psychologically Mm. no it does and I, i was just thinking that um, earlier on I kind of cut you off in your description of intuitive eating so maybe mm. it's really not even maybe it would be really good <laughs> I think and really important to kind of 
go back to the beginning of that and, and give the listeners an idea about what intuitive eating is. Um, and, yeah. and maybe what it isn't as well. Sure, yeah, because it's, it's become a bit of a buzzword, in, especially in the past sort of six months or so, I would say. And, and people, I've, so, I've seen all kinds of weird shit in conjunction with intuitive eating, like intuitive eating and counting your macros. And like intuitive eating and weighing and measuring and portioning your food. And I'm like, guys, no, 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 that's not what intuitive eating is. So this is, I get very protective of intuitive eating as, as a concept, as an intervention that can really help people improve their relationship with food. And, and when it starts getting co-opted by diet culture like that, like I get pissed. <laughs> but the, the other thing that I see happen quite a lot is, is, intuitive eating becoming misconstrued as just not giving a shit just eating whatever you want whenever you want and not paying any attention to how that makes you feel or and like I just said that's a that's a huge part of of intuitive eating is is learning to recognize the signals that your body is sending you and and interpret them and you know you can override them you know if you know that if you eat you know more than um or past your point of comfortable fullness um, that you might feel uncomfortable, but also you're allowed to do that because you've made that decision as opposed to, um, you doing it and then, and then being guilt-ridden afterwards. So anyway, yeah, let me back up and kind of explain what it is. So intuitive eating is, uh, an intervention that was developed by two dietitians in the nineties in the U S and they had kind of seen the same pattern over and over and over again whereby they'd written these meticulous meal plans for their clients and the clients were following them down to the T and they initially lost weight but then you know three four five years out they would come back and being like you know I'm, I'm doing everything that you told me but I'm still gaining weight and um you know they would internalize that failure as they had failed the diet instead of what we know now is that that diets don't work right so it's the diet failing them and there are a whole host of biological reasons as to why diets don't work but anyway <laughs> which hilariously <laughs> you and I have both gone into it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and and yeah I mean maybe we can link to some resources so that people can go in and understand you know why that is but so basically, the, these two dietitians drew upon the literature that was around at the time. And so this was an evidence-informed program whereby they um, helped their clients reject dieting mentality and get off of that like diet merry-go-round, like it's sort of ups and downs and, um, and, and, and just kind of get rid of all that noise in their head that was dictating what and when and how much to eat and and the sort of bargaining and negotiating like if you want a cookie then you have to run however many miles and and all of that stuff and so the the intervention is guided by 10 principles so they're not rules they're not there's nothing sort of hard and fast and and you kind of get to make it your own in a lot of ways which my clients I think appreciate but basically it's about tuning in and recognizing your hunger and fullness cues and layering on concepts like mindful eating but also eating for taste and pleasure and satisfaction <laughs> I know <laughs> I know right 
What a concept. You know, like, you just... Sorry, I'll let you finish. No, I mean, that's at the crux of it. I mean, we also look at things like emotional eating. um, And then further on in the process, we look at intuitive movement. So not exercise for punishment or um, for weight loss, but but because it feels good and because it has physical health benefits and because it has mental health benefits. And then at the end, gentle nutrition, which is non-diet nutrition. So, you know, instead of thinking about like all the things that you can cut out of your diet... What can you add in? How can you get a little extra fiber over here? Or how can you get some, you know, extra phytonutrients or, um, you know, get more colorful food in? So it's not about restriction deprivation, but um, yeah, really about enjoying your food, enjoying the experience of food. And and actually at the end of the day, thinking about food a lot less, <laughs> so much. thinking about it less, thinking about it, you know, what what do you want to eat as opposed to, you know, what what does my meal plan tell me that I can eat or how many points do I have left or how many sins do I have left or whatever other bullshit. And just, you know, thinking about meals at mealtimes and enjoying them and then moving on with your life and having capacity in your brain to think about more important things. It's such an enormous issue. I mean, I should have written written notes while you are talking. There was a point about pleasure. There was a point about um, thinking about food less. So the first one was so rarely, and obviously I have a slightly skewed sample when I'm working with, with clients, but mm. you ask them about the, their food choices or why they ate whatever it was that they sure. had for lunch and breakfast, and they'll come back and say, oh, because it's good, because it's healthy, because it's nutritious, because I've had that the day before, because... And, you know, they might have 15 different reasons for making a particular food choice, and pleasure just wasn't one of them. Yeah. Like, not because I really fancied it, not because I've been hankering about it yeah. for a little while, not because, oh, like, it's my favourite thing to have on a Sunday morning. The idea of pleasure just doesn't come into mm-hmm. it. And, and even further than that, that the idea of pleasure is seen as bad, as kind of an indulgence, yeah. or and being selfish, or it's unnecessary. I shouldn't eat this thing because it's unnecessary. And it's this incredibly functional approach to your to food but also to your own body which Mm -hmm. is the worst part like as if you're just a robot that needs fueling and you shouldn't have to think about whether something feels nice or not yeah we're almost like a little afraid of of pleasure and i think it's kind of got these really puritanical (laughs) how have we not left that behind like we talk about being a more liberal society and, and, and thinking about equality for everyone. <laughs> and yet we still have these very Victorian or like, puritanical, Presbyterian yes. ideas yeah. about food. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's bizarre, actually. It's really, it's really strange. And I think it's, you know, the kind of the modern day equivalent of that is is diet culture, where which is specifically targets women, specifically targets women in bigger bodies and women and and femmes and and people who identify as female. And it punishes us for enjoying anything bigger than a salad. And and, and it just, it makes women feel like they are not enough if their bodies don't conform to a certain standard and a certain shape and a certain size um and that whatever that standard is kind of 
has morphed a little bit throughout the years. We're not like in Kim Kardashian territory now, mm-hmm. but well, ish. Right? <laughs> ish. I, I think I think she is still held as a slight outlier because because she's so Got rich curves. and she's yeah she's got curves and she's over there. Like mm-hmm. I think most most people would still struggle to 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 let to, to look like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and feel confident and mm-hmm. feel okay mm-hmm. and not be conscious. I think actually in her own way. Like, <laughs> she has done a lot for a lot of women. I really yeah. think she probably has. Um, but I, I think she is an outlier in a sea of very a very ubiquitous body standard. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I think it, she is sort of breaking the mold in a lot of senses and, and making it okay if you have curves. But then it just sets up another body standard, which is... <laughs> Yeah, so what if you're, what if you're just kind of straight up and down? Like, yeah. you don't have curves naturally, genetically, like, that's not your thing. And you don't want to spend the rest of your life doing squats. Like, what right. if, is that okay? Is that all right? I mean, I think so, but diet culture doesn't think so. Um, and, and that's, you know, I mean, I'm sure you could probably even talk more on this than, than I could, but, you know, that, what I always say is that, going on a diet doesn't fix poor body image but the lie of diet culture is that if you conform if you um you know fit into whatever the size jeans are if you get the makeup if you get the products and buy the magazines or get the latest lululemon outfit then that's going to solve all your problems but that's not going to fix poor body image and it's not going to you know, deal with all the other life shit that you have. Yeah, and, and it starts it. to go a bit further, doesn't it? It starts to go, I think, into a more... It's not just body image, it's life image. So I was talking to someone and they were telling me that it wasn't it wasn't just that their body wasn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. Also, they weren't getting up at six in the morning oh, to God, do yeah. sun salutations. <laughs> <laughs> and then making themselves an organic They didn't do their gratitude list first thing. And then like cycle to work in their fabulous job. And then do a great job and probably get promoted again for the second time that week. And then come home to their dog in their amazing apartment mm-hmm. like they, and it becomes this, it just it kind of ripples outwards yeah. to these greater and greater yeah. ridiculous standards and one of my biggest issues is is this kind of I, I worry about why I'm not necessarily a rebel <laughs> <laughs> I have occasional issues with authority um, <laughs> but I'm mostly good at issues but my, my bigger issue psychologically is with the compliance mm-hmm. like I don't see enough people questioning where these yeah. ideals and these standards and these yeah. rules have come yeah. from yeah. and so people just say oh well I should eat this or mm-hmm. I should look like this or I should and, and they're not questioning where yeah. that should has come from they, they, and it's, it's so interesting that, that women aren't more critical and I think the other piece of this that's, that's going on is that it seems to me at least from my again skewed sample that a lot of the women who bought into sort of clean eating and that whole aesthetic mm. kind of Instagram you know smoothie acai bowl picture taking like that whole thing right that you just <laughs> described 
is because it a lot of those women, you know, in your early 20s, you're trying to figure out who you are and you're trying to figure out what your identity is. And a lot of these women were doing it in a really public way yeah. on Instagram. And then, you know, when when they realized actually maybe this isn't working or they sort of like that started flexing that critical thinking muscle, they were already too far in. Too far in. And then it becomes, well, who am I? What is my identity if I'm not the, you know, if I'm not the healthy one? And I've had these conversations with the clients so many times, like, you know, who, what, who am I? What am I doing if I'm not, you know, because all my friends see me as the healthy one. Everyone at work sees me as that. What will I do if I'm not going to the gym seven times a day? And, and that's a really hard, like, no, thing to come up against. Um, and I'm no psychologist, so like, <laughs> you tell me what's going on there. Like, I will. <laughs> yeah. Am I on to something, Kimberly? That's a really good point. I think there's, oh, we're literally sliding down right into mm. feminism and, mm-hmm. and, and really the, the female experience. And, and, and that's not to say that actually also, I think increasingly, men are, mm-hmm. are prey to all of this sure. as well and certainly gay men in the London gay scene are so body conscious and so aware of being judged on their physicality so it's and and I don't know if this is a, an actual statistic but I heard that trans women are at the highest risk for eating disorders oh I didn't know I, I'm not sure well, maybe we'll have we to can, like, yeah, check, check on that, that. Yeah. but yeah that I, so that's that interesting. interesting yeah um yeah, so I, I think the, the question of identity is an enormous one. And I think, you know, not to... I don't want to use too many cliches, but millennials. So mm. so women who are kind of coming into their own now in their early, mid-20s, 30s, have this very, very strange um, miasma <laughs> of, of, of things happening. So on one level, they're being told... It, which is great on one sense that they can be anything and mm. they can do anything mm-hmm. and they can have everything and mm-hmm. and that includes having a stellar career and a great relationship yeah. and you know you have this amazing plethora of foods to choose from to curate your own kind of way of eating mm-hmm. you can also have all the resources online at the gym at home to create an amazing body mm-hmm. and also you have your your life journal <laughs> so that you can be perfectly happy and zen all the time yeah. and so there's this sense that like okay all of this stuff is available to me and but then there's this kind of oh but if I try to do all of these things it will make me mad yeah. and then they hit this point where actually there is a massive toss-up between having all of these things and staying sane and then realizing a kind of fundamental unfairness I think which is then you have to make the decision about children because mm-hmm. you cannot have all of those things mm-hmm. have an amazing like be at the peak of your career and also be the best parent the planet has ever seen oh, no. with a parenting mm-hmm. blog and you know so, something's got to give and I think what we haven't done we society haven't done is equip people women but people in general with with the ability to kind of question reality like is this is this even possible who's Mm -hmm. doing this nobody's really doing this and I work with people in central London like I'm I'm on Harley Street so I'm working with the kind of 
professionals and people who are kind of at the top of their careers, mm-hmm. they're not doing it. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no one is doing this. And, but they're, they're still striving for it and trying to reach it, and it's it's too far out of reach. And, and then the, the consequence of that, at least as I see it, is just all this self-doubt and anxiety and like loads and loads of stress as a result of that because they're trying to live up to this unrealistic standard and it, it literally is it's unrealistic because <laughs> yeah. people say oh it's unrealistic as if it's like it's just a bit tough and if I try harder I'll make no. it no it's unrealistic it's, it's not achievable impossible. It's, it's a lie <laughs> <laughs> and and I think this in in the mix of all of that confusion and that doubt and that sadness and that loss food becomes the thing that is manageable mm-hmm. and your body becomes the thing that you absolutely can get perfect mm-hmm. and so I think a lot of people focus a lot of their anxiety and the stress or use the food as a distraction from the anxiety and the stress and mm-hmm. use it to manage yeah. all of the nonsense that is swirling around in their minds the rest yeah. of the time totally it's a distraction from the underlying problem and and again I kind of joke although it's not really funny but happy people don't go on a diet right like if things are good in your life you're not thinking about how can I manipulate my body shape and size and how can I control every morsel of food that passes my lips you're it just it just doesn't occur to you you're just like happy living your life (laughs) yeah just getting on with things um and I think you know this this sort of millennial aspirational instagram instagrammable lifestyle thing um it kind of it it takes us away from the realization or maybe people realize and they just aren't saying that they realize this that you know life is messy and it has ups and downs and it's not you know there's the, the whole like positive vibes only or like if anybody they'll just get a slap from me I can't be doing that all that thing but again I'm like no 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 no. it's not it's not always positive vibes only I'm I'm, I'm that person I'm literally the person on Twitter that goes Christmas isn't great for everyone (laughs) so you should no I'm a total buzzkill too because we have critical thinking skills Kimberly I had to go at I had a go at a few people. I've 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 gone after Slimfast in the past, but I had a go at Stylist magazine. A slight go. I retweeted them with a slightly um, thing, um, but they'd put out a um, just a, a generic tweet. I'm sure they didn't. It was just scheduled, and nobody actually mm-hmm. read it. Um, that said that you know science shows. That's another one. Science, science proves yeah. um, that mothers and daughters really do have the strongest relationship. And I'm like, hold up one darn pick a minute. Because what we also know is that those relationships can be some of the most dangerous and harmful and toxic and abusive emotionally out there. And what I hate is when those messages go out and the people go, oh, well, if I don't have that kind of relationship, then maybe there's something wrong with me. I've got something wrong and I'm not a good enough daughter and I should be grateful to my mum and did it. And, and no, you need to understand that it's not all sunshine and flowers. No. And we need to be able to talk about when it gets messy. Yeah. Um, and my other thing is is with um, new mothers and parenthood and we have this kind of total Madonna complex about mm-hmm. motherhood and how mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's all rosy and, and you glow and you and your baby are going to be so happy together. I am fucking terrified <laughs> of that shit. 
it. It's, <laughs> a, it's the scariest thing ever. Yeah. And can women talk about how frightened they are about losing their identity and stepping out of their careers and their bodies being taken uh-huh. over by yeah. this little thing this that's growing inside them. Yeah. And then also, after birth, can they talk about actually I'm miserable and I'm sad and I'm lonely and I miss my friends and I miss yeah. my job and the baby won't stop like well and then layer on all the pressures for new mums to lose weight and get get their bodies back like where did their bodies go for nine months body was here the whole time it was making a human <laughs> making another person um and and so yeah it's just this uh, you know layer upon layer of uh, ridiculous expectations placed on women um especially um yeah i don't we went down a rabbit hole there just climb back out again i'm like i'm sorry um ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, no, that was good though. I think, I think that was <laughs> a useful moment. Good rant. And I think... It's important to be able to say it because I think those slightly unpopular, slightly, in air quotes, negative, because that's Mm -hmm. my other thing, is about, is it really negative? I'll I'll see people and they'll say, I think I did did do an Instagram post on it, like, there's no point in crying. Really? What do you mean there's no point in crying? Oh, it doesn't do... Let it out, girl! (laughs) It doesn't do anything, it doesn't change anything, it doesn't... But it, but it is a recognition of a real emotional state, isn't it? It is a recognition that you're experiencing uh-huh. some sort of pain, right? It is a kind of, you know, it's cathartic. Right. And there's this kind of sense in which, yeah, this kind of good vibes only thing where if you're not that manic pixie dream girl, <laughs> then you're some sort of like party pooper and you're not, you know, you don't have good chat and you're not good fun and you're not. You're not the cool girl. You're not the cool girl. And I think we need to we need to be able to say sometimes I'm just not interested. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just miserable. Sometimes life is crap. Sometimes you know you don't feel like I just don't feel like it, (laughs) and that's okay. Yeah, totally. I was I'm like 
having one of those days and sort of, I'm not sure when this is coming out, but like we're in the lead up to Christmas right now and I am done. Like physically, emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> met, like all in all of the ways I am done. <laughs> I have not functioned like a normal human being in like a week. Why do you think I served you a plate of Satan, you know? But I think it's just, it's so easy. You know, I get so many messages and I'm, you know, completely humbled that people would ask for my opinion on anything because I don't know what I'm doing, right? But, but, you know, um, young women kind of um, in the early stages of their career are trying to figure things out, asking me for advice. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I've made all of this up as I go along. But also, like... <laughs> I'm going to let you into a psychology secret, psychology 101. Yeah. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Nobody actually knows. And and this idea that there's some there's some key or there's some answer yeah. and somebody's getting it right and if I just if I just eat right or if I just work harder or if I just choose this yeah. career, maybe if I do another workout it will all fall into place. No, it won't because <laughs> not to get existential on me here. Life is chaos, guys. Right. And I think, like, the sooner that we can embrace that and just realize that, like, like we were saying before, there are going to be ups and downs and bumps in the road and unexpected shit coming up. Like, it's... And and I I always talk about this in relation to our, our bodies as well. Like, our bodies are always changing. And so, if, you know, the, the before and the after picture. So, like, the after picture... That's not, that's, yeah, that's not like a stopping point. You know, like you don't just freeze in time at that point. So what happens when life gets messy? What happens if you have a kid or you have breast cancer or you injure yourself or, you know, when, when the shit hits the fan, you, you're not going to be able to, to control your body. So you, you, we need to get used to this idea, not just in terms of our bodies, but just in general that like things change and and nothing's set in stone. I think that's what we were getting. I think, at I here. think that is. I think you have condensed it into a beautiful soundbite. Um, that essentially, yeah, we're not in control. Like, no. This is the the bit that nobody really wants to admit that you're you're not actually in control. You're you're, you're pootling along and it's fine. And there are yeah. some things you can control. You can get up and go to work in the morning, but. Fundamentally, you're not in control of what happens no. to you that day. You know, life life happens. No. And I think that, which is a kind of existential question, that mm-hmm. kind of sense of, of helplessness or powerlessness, is what people try to deny or to um, balance with an excess of control in another aspect sure. of their life. Uh-huh. So I am totally in control of my my career or I'm totally in control of my body I'm in total control of of my diet or whatever it might be yeah because actually if you stop for a moment and realize what little control you actually have Mm -hmm. that's really scary thought to have it's like when I think of outer space it like blows my mind I can't cope with the cosmos (laughs) that's what I mean right you get it um and I think god and who am I to even like talk about this stuff but but, you know, the, the thing that I think, instead of striving for this perfection, how resilient are we when we come across these bumps in the road? How do we handle them? Can we, like, pick ourselves back up? And 
and deal with whatever shit has been thrown at us and can we be flexible you know and that applies to food and eating as well as you know the you know wider sense of of living and being a person and so to me that's kind of the thing to be I guess aiming for isn't quite the right word but it's it's sort of the test of of you know how how are you doing with things like are you able to sort of bounce back from from whatever shit gets thrown at you and again that sounds like a fat cliche but that's that's what I spend a lot of time thinking about at least just bouncing back yeah just just like I just need to get my shit together (laughs) what was I going to ask you because you were shouting at someone this week in the media Oh no! How did it go? I was. <laughs> <laughs> Who is it this Who's time? It? So it was Itsu in the summer. Uh-huh. No. Uh, so for for listeners who don't follow Laura, and um, obviously you should, um, but this week across her Instagram and um, on your Twitter account, mm-hmm. you you helped out actually, like supported, improved, um, improved. Um, Educated. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, Women's Health magazine mm-hmm. with with their cover. Mm-hmm. And the last check, you were getting quite a few kind of responses to that. How how has this week been post that? And what prompted it? Let's start back. Okay. Why? <laughs> okay, so can you remember we were supposed to record this podcast like a couple of weeks ago? Um, yes. But there was a power cut yes. in my office. And finally we got the power and everything back on. This is a long-winded story, but I'm in it now, so I'm just mm. going to keep going. We've got time. Um, and then they kind of fixed all of that, and then there was another power cut. So I was like, fuck's sake. So, you know, being resilient, bouncing back from a tough situation, <laughs> I thought, well, fuck it. I have to go to Sainsbury's anyway and get some stuff. So um, I was actually, I'd gone and done my shopping and then I was standing at the kiosk buying some stamps to send Christmas cards. (laughs) And it was just, the magazine cover was like right in front of me. And I I guess like somewhere in the back of my head, I realized that Women's Health is trash magazine, but also that they'd made this commitment to body positivity and not body shaming and you know they have done to give them their dues they've done some stuff around mental health it's kind of questionable but they've they've made efforts um yeah no yeah that's what i'm saying like they're i can see that they're trying or they're at least paying lip service to trying but it's massively problematic in loads of other ways because the people who suffer the most from mental health issues are probably not middle-class white women, but just... <laughs> anyway, that aside, and, and it's also just the token body positivity. Nobody's really over a size 10 in that magazine, so whatever. It's a trash magazine. But I, I remembered that they'd made this commitment and so whatever. I just kind of looked at the cover and I couldn't believe the messages that were on it like they were no different from what they were last year or the year before and everything was shaming women in one way or another and they put it through the lens of like transforming yourself like a phoenix from the ashes yeah and I'm 
was just like it it was just rampant with with body shame and like the subtext was you are not good enough do better try harder be more be better like all of those things and <clears throat> so i just decided <sighs> the day was a write off anyway so i was just like <laughs> go in i'm just going to have fun with this and initially i just i put it on my instagram stories and i just covered up the headlines with you know things like you know your worth is not dictated by your image or or how you look or, or what whatever the things are that we're in you know like diets don't work and cause disordered relationship with food and da 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 um and literally it was a flyaway thing <laughs> on my instagram stories and i sent it to a friend and she's like oh my god tweet it put it on your like main instagram page and i was like but it's gonna mess up the aesthetic of my page because it's like looking so pretty right now yeah i was in the middle of my non-diet advent calendar but i was like all right i'll I'll do it um and 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 then i started like getting google alerts which i've never got before in my life oh really saying what well so basically it got picked up by yahoo news in the u.s and now it's been on everywhere from like Refinery29 and Teen Vogue to uh, Fox News. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just kind of went wild from there. Um, and yeah, like that was not at all my intention. It was just to have a little bit of fun with sort of diet culture and um, just kind of because, you know, a lot of the messages that I got from people after that were like, oh, wow, I bought this magazine and like it didn't even didn't even click it didn't occur to me that that they were just making me feel like crap in order to buy this magazine and they were promoting unrealistic body standards and disordered eating and also i mean there's so much mess yeah look first of all nobody notices because it's like asking a fish to describe water like we're so suffused in it that we can't even tell when it's happening but also the second thing is that if you know anybody in the fitness industry or anyone who's done a cover like that, you know that, first of all, that cover has been in the diary for a long time. So they have been dieting and exercising for weeks in preparation for that cover. So it's not like she just stepped out of bed, sauntered out her teeth, <laughs> and then just struck a pose. That's not what happened. No. We also know that she, in all likelihood, I don't, I'm not speaking for Jen Atkinson, um, but most of those models will not have had breakfast because... They, they can't have bloaty tummy on photo shoot day. So you haven't eaten. Um, you've been exercising specifically for that day. Mm-hmm. Maybe doing all sorts of carb cycling or whatever is needed to to, to get into shape. Um, you're probably a little bit dehydrated because that makes your muscles look better. And you're tensing. Like this mm-hmm. isn't. But but also there there's the whole other aspect of this, which is like most of those women just were dealt a good hand genetically and so you know they have like a pert butt and a long legs and you know all of that stuff and and that's fine you know that's like genetically that's what they have I don't want to body shame any of these these women just because that's how they look anyway you know um but and and so so there's that you know and and we're compared like a lot of my clients are you know, moms, they're, you know, they're not like in their early twenties anymore. And they're, they're comparing themselves to these women who that's their job. Right. And, and that's fine. That's great for them. I'm really happy that they've, they make a living that they enjoy and they're, you know, 
<laughs> women and their hustling and, and all of that kind of, that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's this it's this idea that that's the only way to look or the only way to be and you know, there's all the unrealistic standards, you know, all the things that you said about they've probably restricted, they've probably been over-exercising, there's the genetics, but there's then also the fact that, like, they've been highly photoshopped, they've been airbrushed, they've they've probably been all oiled up, and, <laughs> you know, they have, they have a makeup artist, or probably several people fussing over them, doing their hair, doing their makeup, um, and yeah, they look great. But that's, you know, that's not their, that, they don't even look like that in real life. Um, you know, how can, how are we supposed to, to live up to that standard? And again, you know, like most of these women, they're doing this for your, for their job, right? Like it's not your job to look like that. It's not your job to live up to these unrealistic standards that, by the way, diet culture foisted them upon you. You didn't come out of the womb and sign a contract and be like, I'm going to live up to these unrealistic standards. No, like, that's just, that's projected on you. And, 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 and we don't have any say in that. I mean, we do, but we don't realize that we do most of the time, right? We just go along with it. Why do you care so much about this? Now the psychologist in you is coming <laughs> out. I see what you did there. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah, yeah, no, why do I? I mean, it's, it's a good question, and it's something that I ask myself a lot, like, why, why do I let this get to me so much? And, and I think it's because I've had, you know, I've been there, I've had a disordered relationship with food. I've had body image issues. And, and I'm saying that like, it's like this thing that I've worked it all out. And now I'm like, no, like I, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing, right? Like you, you're, we're inundated with diet culture all the time. It would be weird if we didn't have body image issues to some extent, right? And so, you know, it's something that I, I tell my clients all the time is like, we have to actively protect ourselves against against that. And, and you know, we have to notice if there's a body image issue popping up in our head, like, where is that coming from, really? Is that because, oh, I've been working 12-hour days, I haven't gone to my yoga class, and I haven't just generally been taking care of myself? Which a lot of the times, you know, when, when clients come in and be like, oh, I feel really fat, I'm like, okay, what, what's the context of this? And what does, what does that mean? I mean oh, well, that's that too. Susie Orbach's first question. Of course. Like, what, what do you mean? Fat is a... It's not a thing then. It's not. It's not. But I understand when people mm, say that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, they're, they're potentially, and, and for a lot of people, and again, you're the psychologist here, so what what's the deeper thing that's going on? Where is that unhappiness, that underlying unhappiness coming from? And, and you know, for me, like that in, in various times in my life, you know, when I was doing my PhD, um, I had a lot of body image issues and, and kind of connecting the dots back a lot of it was because my PhD supervisor was a huge bully he made me he made my life miserable um you know there was a point I was on antidepressants and it was just like a really not the work of doing a PhD like that's easy like the research part and the classes and all that stuff that's easy but when you have you know um, again, I was sort of like in the lab 12 hours a day and that wasn't good enough. Like, why aren't you being more productive? <laughs> like, I guess I physically can't. But, you know, that, again, taking those frustrations out on 
on my physical appearance. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, like when I'm, I guess I'm sympathetic towards it because I, I understand it. Um, and you know, as a kid, I was like a, a bigger kid and I got teased and bullied about it. And, and so again, I, I, I can empathize with, with those experiences and um, fat phobia and fat shaming are something that I'm super like super passionate about and because and it's you know it's it's the I, I need to sort of be careful about what I say but it's 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 a socially acceptable form of of prejudice of stigma and I'm not saying that other forms of of stigma and and prejudice don't exist and aren't you know huge huge problems they absolutely are but you know for example um like let's say race or um being open openly homosexual being being openly homophobic but i think you get the point that i'm trying to make is that like okay yes there are bigots all over the place but the way that like the media and and even public health talk about people in bigger bodies is it's just displaying this like overt stigma against people that we don't see in other areas of of social justice does that make sense it does and it makes me think um, one of my earlier pods and i was talking to a woman called cheryl hill who Mm -hmm. is she's a theater director and she's doing a production based on her own experiences, but also taking research and focus groups about experiences in bigger bodies. Yeah. And and one of the quotes that I put up from that discussion was that she was talking to the focus group and one of the people in it was an actress. Mm-hmm. And this, this woman had said that after she started putting on weight, she was no longer cast as the yeah. lawyer because a lawyer is in control. And if you're overweight, then you're not in control. And there is all this... I mean, it's an enormous question about what what people find so difficult about it because I think mm-hmm. you're right that there's it's the kind of last vestige of hostility and interpersonal mm-hmm. aggression mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we understand that if you say to someone you're fat that it is a barb it is a, an accusation of, of yeah. a real it's a judgment of your character as well right because of all of the connotations and the stereotypes that go alongside that lazy mm-hmm. stupid not ambitious yeah I mean we don't I mean all of those things yeah come under this heading and it's really interesting because that's part of the question when people say part of my question when people say oh I feel really fat or I feel really bloated Mm -hmm. we need to stop because we need to understand what you mean and I'm sure my clients are sick to death of me saying what do you mean by that and invariably it means something like unattractive yes and then you have to start thinking about why is it so important that you feel attractive attractive to who what's making you not feel attractive what does attractive even mean and 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 what's that going to give you in your life because this is the sort of like million dollar question that I ask clients I'm like okay so let's say for instance you achieved this standard of perfection in beauty or body or, or whatever it is what will it get you or what will it give you that you don't already have and most people are like but I have a great job I have a great family I have a great partner or 
um, kids or what, what, you know, I have the gra- a great dog. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, the good dog. He's <laughs> a good boy. Uh, so like, and, and, so, and when I ask them that, they're like, it kind of leaves them speechless. They're, they're sort of like, well, no, I have a really good life actually when I just take myself out of that for a second and think about it. Um, so that kind of stops yeah. them in their tracks. And, and, and again, it's just this idea of just complying to rules without questioning the rules, like questioning the legitimacy of this authority. Like, yeah. Why should a magazine tell you that you need to drop yeah. two dress sizes? What, what do they know about you? <laughs> what do they know about your history with food? What do they know about your body size? What do they know about your yeah. microbiome, for crying out loud? Like, what do they, <laughs> they don't know anything. They don't That's know anything. the worst thing. Did they ever get back to you? Did you hear of anything? From... Oh, no. It's not the first time I've called them out for something. It's probably not going to be the last like, time. Oh, my God. It's Laura Thomas again. <laughs> I know. They probably, yeah... I fuck knows what they're saying about me at women's health, but it's not good. <laughs> do they follow you? Probably not. No, probably not overtly. No. I bet they do on the sly. There are probably quite a few people who are like, yeah, nobody ever asked me for collaborations or. It was really I have a point about that, but because um, Itsu did get back to you, didn't they? Yeah, and Itsu were like, that's not what we meant. <laughs> Yeah, they just kind of denied it. Um, no, talking about collaborations, because I, I'm kind of the only psychologist doing what I do. Yeah. Nutritional psych type stuff. I get sent bits and bobs, and or people ask me mm-hmm. if I will endorse their product, and I have basically a position of not endorsing anything, because... <laughs> Because I'm difficult. No, um, because, well, you know, as professionals, we have codes of conduct, yeah. we have codes of ethics. Absolutely. And I can't, I couldn't endorse something that I, A, didn't use or didn't actually believe in mm-hmm. or believe that would be of benefit to my clients sure, or anybody following like no me. no evidence behind exactly. it. Exactly. So it's not like, it's, I was like, oh, if we send you some juice, will you take a picture of this juice? No, I'm not going to do that. No. Um, but I've just been sent these nootropics, these... I saw you did a story on this yesterday. They are not going to ask me for a collaboration. <laughs> I don't know when this will go out. I might end up having to cut this out. But um, I sent them. I sent them a request. I'm just going to badger them for more information. But I've sent them a request for the for evidence, evidence, and they've said they don't have any. <laughs> they said they have evidence for. So it's a. It's like green tea and um, oh, guarana okay. seed yeah, and, yeah. And, and a multivitamin. And so they've got evidence that multivitamins are good for you. They've got evidence that caffeine has neurotropic effects, but they don't have evidence that for this that product. particular product, yeah. Um, so I'm just going to have to say that, frankly. <laughs> I'm just going to have to say this. That's my favourite thing, and I don't know if you get this too, but I'll sometimes get companies trying to send me things. And they'll start, they'll preface the email with like, we love your podcast and we love what you're about on social media and yeah, fuck diet culture. And then can you promote our sugar-free, gluten-free, everything free, low calorie product? And I'm like, so either you haven't been paying attention or you just don't care. Yeah, you're just like. You're just going to try your luck. I'm, like, I'm going to wave this free product in front of your face and yeah. see if I can buy your love. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no. It's not going to work. It's just not. Okay. Is there anything we've missed or... I don't know. I feel like we've set the world's to right a little bit over here, so... I've literally gone in. I wasn't expecting to go 
down the highway of feminism. What we went there. It was no, like Thelma Louise. I'm all about it. <laughs> I'm all about it. Um, yeah, no, I think one of the questions that I always get, so maybe it's just helpful to drop it in here, is, um, you know, I like the idea of this intuitive eating thing, so where can I find out more about it? And I would say get the book. It's just called Intuitive Eating. Um, the author... The author. Tribbly and Resh, and I can send you a link for your notes, show notes. So yeah, the third edition is the best one to get. Um, they also have a workbook that came out just this year, which is a bit more updated because, frankly, the book... It's kind of old. It's, da- it's really dated, yeah. <laughs> Even though they didn't update in, like, 2013, it still feels very, like, self-helpy, midlife crisis-y. Um, otherwise, like I have loads of podcasts on intuitive eating and my podcast is, is Don't Stop My Game. <clears throat> and for people who are thinking, oh, this sounds really interesting. I want to do more. I have a, a course which is kind of just covers the fundamentals of intuitive eating. Um, it's called Food Fight and that's starting again at the end of January. So yeah, you can check out the, the website for that. So if you're, if you want to get off the dieting sort of merry-go-round, um, then yeah, that's a that's a good resource. So perfect, and I'll put all those links in so people can find you without trying. <laughs> Stumble over. I'll you. make myself known. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Laura, thank you so so much it's for having me. It's a pleasure. Me. You know, you had me <laughs> on your podcast. <laughs> and we'll do it again sometime. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And that's it. Thanks again to Laura for joining me. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram where she is at Laura Thomas PhD. That's L-A-U-R-A-T-H-O-M-A-S-P-H-D. All the links to her podcast and courses are in the show notes so you can find out more about her work. In upcoming episodes, I talk to someone about relationships, sex and honesty on social media. So do be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any future episodes. That just leaves me to thank you all very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.